Welcome to Wild Tater, the Food Forest Podcast. I'm Charles Hathaway. And uh, just real quick before we get into today's episode, I wanted to thank uh, some of our listeners who uh, contacted me and informed me that uh, despite their best efforts to grow the scarlet runner bean, Phaseolus cochineus, uh, actually they had success growing it, but they've never had it come back. Now, I don't know the details about uh, where specifically um, all of these people are. Some I looked up and it looked like uh, zones 5 and 6 were most likely, uh, which they should be able to grow in with just a little bit of ground protection. So I would love to hear back from others of you who have grown the Scarlet Runner Bean or any of these other plants and not had them come back in the spring. That's kind of what it comes down to, is if if you can get it to grow just fine during the summer, but then they, when they die in the winter, they don't come back in the spring, that's a sign that something is wrong. Either they are not being documented properly, at, you know, as to their cold hardiness needs, or there's something that's not being done that needs to be, such as a thick mulching. It, it could be that a uh, light mulching is simply not going to be enough. It might even be that there's just no way in those zones to get these to grow perennial, in which case I would like to know why they are being listed as perennials in these zones. If you have experience growing the Scarlet Runner Bean as a perennial, please contact me. Let me know what zone you are in, or at least um, what area you're in, your closest big city or, or something if you don't want to give specifics of your location. Something that can give me an idea. I can look up and see what your zone is, and and we can get an idea of what's working, what's not working between people. I want this to be a communal experience, something that we're learning together and growing together. So I very much appreciate the feedback from those of you who contacted me and let me know that your scarlet runner beans are not growing as perennials. That matters in a food forest. So thank you for that. Okay, today we're going to talk about the riverbank grape, also known as the riparian grape, um, Vitus riparia, riparia, um, basically, which basically means forest grape. It's also been listed under the titles, the common names, fox grape, northern fox grape, plum grape, northern muscadine, swamp grape, frost grape, and wild vine. I've also heard it called just the wild grape. It is native to many parts of the United States and as well as other areas. But um, this is a unique grape because of its ability to grow as one would a wild vine. So I think it has great potential in the food forest. Okay, obviously the uh, riverbank grape occupies the vine layer. It grows down to cold hardiness zones 3 all the way up to zone 9. So it has a very wide temperature range. 3 means it can withstand cold down to negative 40 Fahrenheit, which is also negative 40 
Celsius. And unlike other grape vines, which prefer a little bit more acidic soil, the soil pH preference of the riverbank grape is between 6.8 and 7.2. So if you have very alkaline soil, this may be worth trying. Your watering needs are medium. Keep in mind, this is called a riverbank grape for a reason. It does like water. That said, it does seem to uh, have documentation of much drought tolerance, more so than most of your domestic grapes. So it, it, it's just a hardier grape than most grapes. So if you struggle to get grapes growing, this might be one to try. The blooming season is mid to late spring, harvest season August through October, basically fall. The fruiting age is three years, so it'll take about three years for it to bear fruit. Pollination for fruit. Um, it should produce fruit on its own, but it will produce more fruit with another grape variety or another uh, riverbank grape of from, grown from seed nearby. Um, remember that uh, varieties come from seed, not from grafting. And so while many grapes are grafted or you know, taken from cuttings and so forth. If you want a different variety of grape, you'll want one that has grown from seed. Or you can just, you know, have another variety of grape. So long as the uh, the bloom time overlaps some, they will even mix with other grapes, uh, domestic grapes, such as, you know, the Concord or whatever. Okay, so... Its size at maturity, this is also unique. Anywhere between 36 to 100 foot reach. So this is a really wide reacher. And for you metric folk, that is 9 to 30 meters. And these are a high climber, so they will climb up. I've, I've sometimes said if they were given an infinite fence to climb, they are likely to climb maybe you know, 90, I mean, sorry, uh, 20 feet up and 80 feet out, something like that. Uh, that's probably going to be about typical of what you can expect um, if it's given that opportunity, which means in a food forest, they could be climbing any number of trees, even across from one tree to the other sometimes, which is really cool. Now, their sun needs, uh, they do prefer full sun, but they do tolerate light shade. In fact, they're probably the most shade tolerant of grapes. Any of you who know grapes know that they very much prefer a lot of sun. These can take uh, less sun. They will not fruit as well there. Now, they can sometimes make up for that by simply growing up something tall and reaching up and over and getting the sun that way. If they can do that, they should still fruit very well. So, um, so if you've got a fence or or a hedge or something for them to climb up and over, they should be able to get the sun that they need. Keep in mind also that if you're in a very dry desert area, a little shade can go a lot of a long way to uh, protect uh, some of these plants that do tolerate shade. It can it can help them get their their establishment in place before being exposed to their 16 hours of hardcore sun a day. So, okay, their preferred habitat is probably a low, rich wo woodland 
um, maybe on a stream bay bank in a woodland. Their growth rate is fast, they're a quick grower, and their natural productive rate is high. And I had a little bit of trouble finding what their method of natural reproduction is, but it appears that seed is probably the most common. And that may be because they are such prolific fruiters. Now in a domestic setting or in a situation where you're wanting to multiply your vines quickly and or grow them in many places, the most common propagation method is rooting branch cuttings. So cutting a branch. You might dip it in rooting hormone. You might just stick it in water, see how it does. I would recommend if you're doing it that way, just do several of them so that any of them, uh, so that if only a couple grow, well, it was worth it. You got a couple out of it. And also, even though I couldn't find anything specific to the the uh, Vitus riparia, uh, most grapes, uh, wild or otherwise, tend to live between 50 to 100 years of age. And they are in the plant family Vidaceae, which is, of course, the grape family. Now, the uh, riparian grape is a small blue-black grape. And when I say riparian grape, I mean riverbank grape. It has so many names, we're talking about the same kind either way. Um, it's uh, also, as I mentioned, one of the most drought-tolerant, cold-tolerant, alkaline-tolerant of all grapes. Okay, it's, it's smaller and the flavor is a little less refined than other grapes, but it is a good choice where grapes are hard to grow or where you need one to grow particularly um, high or wide to cover an entire fence if you're just looking for a you know privacy barrier these can be a great way to go um, it's probably also the most tolerant of shade of all grapes would be my guess but though again it prefers the sun in order to grow more grapes so with it being such a prolific fruit, um, how does it taste? Well, it's not usually people's first choice for eating fresh-picked grapes, um, partly because it has such a concentrated grape flavor. Some people say that one grape is like the taste and flavor of ten grapes, uh, ordinary grapes. But um, and, and so some say they that might be why they say they love it. And others say it's, you know, it's a little too strong and tart for them. Um, some also have said that that flavor of eating it, you know, fresh off the vine improves after a good frost. So if they're hanging on the vine, have a, a good freezing night or two, they tend to improve their flavor or at least uh, soften their flavor enough that people really enjoy them after that. And that, that seems to be pretty common among uh fruits whose flavor is too tart or too strong so it may be worth trying to uh, uh, to let it freeze once or twice before uh, harvesting them and even though that is the best way to get them or that may be the best way to taste them fresh uh, that's not what they're usually used for eating fresh they're usually used uh, for making jam or jelly sometimes even juice, and I've heard good things about all three. In fact, even people who don't seem to like eating the fruit fresh do enjoy the jam or jelly. And that kind of makes sense because most of the time jams and jellies are concentrates of 
the fruit. So a lot of they're slightly dehydrated. They're boiled down some somewhat, and uh, these are really easy to make uh, grape jam or jelly out of because of this uh, fact that they are so such a concentrated flavor. And uh, even though grapes are probably their most common use, um, the riverbank grape has other unique features that, that are not unique to itself, but, uh, but are probably better to some degree on the riverbank grape than other grapevines. And that is that the leaves can be eaten raw or cooked. And um, there's some popular uh, uh, grape, stuffed grape leaf uh, recipes that we will include in our Pinterest board. Um, they're also, you know, sometimes used as a tea, something like that. But the thing I would really recommend trying on the riverbank grape, or any grape for that matter, but especially on the riverbank grape, is the tendrils. You know, the little, little green a mini vine that that comes out and wraps around a fence or around it, a branch to you know uh, grip and provide structure for the whole vine before they've had a chance to fully wrap around and get a grip um, because you know once they do get that grip they'll start hardening up into wood but before they get to that point they can be harvested and eaten either raw or cooked they're a really uh, tart, um, just a, a delicious citrusy, tangy flavor that uh, some have described as being reflective of the flavor of mild sweet tarts. And um, uh, this is one of the favorite uses of the uh, riverbank grape. And I have not compared the flavor of the tendrils of a riverbank grape with those of other grapes, but I have a suspicion that because of their extra tartness um, tendency within the, the grapes themselves, probably those tendrils are more tart than you would get on other grapevines, which, you know, the tendril is obviously not going to be nearly as tart as the grape itself, so it will mild it down to a really tasty level, whereas possibly on the grapevine, maybe it would uh, mild it down too much. But uh, these are said to be really tasty in salads, um, in soups, even sometimes cooked into those soups. Um, a lot of people that get them to try on salads and soups don't end up taking much in because they end up eating so much of it fresh because it's so tasty. So I would highly recommend trying that. And before we finish up, let me tell you about one other use of the riparian grape that is kind of unique and that is its sap which can be used for a sweet refreshing drink and um, I will say that if you're going to tap a grapevine particularly the uh, riparian grape um, it is not necessarily the thickest of all <laughs> tappable plants because grapevines don't get you know thick like a maple so I would recommend trying, if you really want to tap grapevine, using the pruning method, which is to say that you take a branch that needs pruning anyway, um, clip that prune, and then put a water bottle, tie a water bottle to that pruned end so that as it, as it drips down, 
you know, the sap comes up into that uh, clipped branch. There's no branch there, so it drips the sap into a water bottle, and the water bottle, and then you're collecting it quite easily. And you can do that on several branches to collect enough uh, to be used. I will say, though, don't do tapping of a grapevine too often because it could weaken the plant over time. Remember that even a maple tree, a sugar maple, um, it's encouraged to only tap once, once a year. And so that's probably a good guideline for the grape as well. Um, you don't want to put it on, you know, 50 branches of your grapevine. You may just bleed it dry to some level, but um, probably not if you're using that method of tapping. If you're tapping from the base as you might do with a maple tree, um, I would not do it too often just because you don't want to weaken the plant. But that is another possibility. Anyway, thank you guys again so much for listening.